Welcome to That's a Wrap, episode number 43. Welcome to episode number 43 of That's a Wrap, uh, where three guys with PhDs talk about film, media, and other things that interest them. Uh, today we're talking about the Coen brothers. Uh, for That's a Wrap, I am Eric Marshall. And I'm Nick Schlegel. And I am Chris Cullen. And here we are. So um, we all watched Hail Caesar, the latest Coen brothers film, and uh, we'll talk about all of that in our one and only segment, which is going to be segment one today. But before we do that, longtime listeners know that we do pickups first where we kind of catch up with each other and see uh, see what's new and whether we've watched anything interesting lately or anything like that. So, um, Nick, have you seen anything interesting lately? I have. In the theater, in fact, uh, I did something that I have not done. I couldn't remember, frankly, but I – I remembered that the for sure the last time I did it was 1992. So it's been maybe 24 years since I've done this. I went and saw a film twice. I enjoyed it so much. And that film is Richard Linklater's Everybody Wants Some. I kind of went cuckoo for that film. I, I loved it. I was a little, you know, I think we were all uh, a little you know, a little trepidatious about it. You know, was he just going to try and relive the whole Dazed and confused thing all over again. It's just focus on a different decade. Is it going back to the well? You know, drinking two, three times. Is it going to pay off and stuff? And I'll tell you guys, you know, I sat down and uh, a, a smile was plastered on my face, which I think is what Peter Travers said in Rolling Stone. But so it's a, it's a, it's, it's a good comment because it was, and it didn't leave for the two hours. That's that was a full two hour film. And I loved it so much, but I went and saw it a second time. So in the theaters, that's that's the most recent film that I saw that I absolutely kind of went nuts for. Um, I am planning on going to see a couple more films uh, that are currently out right now. Um, and uh, I saw Deadpool. Um, you know, obviously that's not in the theaters anymore, but I watched it over at a friend. And of course, I'm, I mean, I'm always watching, you know, films, uh older older films and stuff like that and as i've mentioned on the show i've started a new book so i'm watching some films for that too and the semester just ended so yeah i I plan on fitting a lot of viewing and i plan on going to a lot more films but the most important one i've seen and probably will see all year was everybody wants them okay great yeah i haven't seen it yet have you seen it uh, chris uh, let's see here. Uh, I have not seen it yet. I'm having a hard time finding it in my area, right. uh, central Massachusetts. Um, I, I, uh, I'd like to try and still see it in the theater because it sounds like it's a great experience seeing it in the theater. Uh, I may have to go, I may have to go to Boston just to, 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 to catch it. Uh, I've been watching a lot of television, a lot of Netflix stuff. I became, um, strangely hooked on, um, you guys are going to laugh at this. The show, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, not at all. Because I, I really like um, Ellie Kemper. She's so cute. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's it's a really odd, quirky comedy that kind of is a throwback to like the 50s, 50s comedies like Bewitched, things like that. 
I, I, I've really taken to it, strangely enough. It took me a while. It took actually Heather and I are watching it together. It took uh-huh. us a while to get into it. Um, but we, uh, we've, we've, we've really liked it. We're, um, we're still, um, excuse me, finishing uh, our semester ends on Monday. We're recording Thursday, May 5th. Uh, Westfield State semester ends on Monday the 9th. So I'm, I'm pretty slammed right now with, um, with a lot, yeah, a lot of, a lot of just a lot of work responsibilities and uh, a lot of committee work responsibilities that I'm that I'm just trying to get all patched up before the end of the term. So I haven't really had a lot of the time or the energy to watch a ton of stuff. Um, like I said, other than uh, just other than a, a ton of TV, um, a lot of a lot of PBS. A lot of, I've been watching a lot of PBS stuff. Sure. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much all that's. That's new. Uh, new with me is finishing up the semester and looking forward to summer. Um, yeah, really looking forward to summer. Um, I have been watching. I, 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 I will. I, I will say this. I wrote a pa- I presented a paper at a conference uh, back in um, last month in Seattle, Washington, and mm-hmm. uh, fortunately, that actually led to a, a book deal with yeah, you know, intellect books. Chris. Thanks, we're, thanks. We're thrilled, man. <clears throat> I, I am too. Um, and that the the book is going to be from the intellect has a series called Urban Chic, and um, they they do these ser- the cities and they talk about the fashion and the look of these different cities. And I'm going to do Detroit, um, but I've been I've been this paper focused on um, the representation of Detroit in the media. So I've been watching a fair amount of films um, again that that deal with that. So. Uh, you know, RoboCop, Eight Mile, you know, right. a, a, a lot, a, a lot of those films. So that I've been watching again, but yeah, not not a not a lot new to be honest with you. What about you, Eric? Um, oh, you know, ups and downs. I was gonna respond to your talking about the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, um, because I watched the first two episodes of that, and uh, it doesn't oh. get better. I mean, yes, does it, it get does. better than those first two episodes? Because I, I thought they were shit, but uh, <laughs> it gets it actually gets very yeah a lot better. I've heard good things. It was one of those things where it's like there are a couple of really good jokes, and you're like, "What the fuck is this?" You know. So yeah, good. Um, It's it's weird. I'm not gonna lie. It's it's weird. It from what I've talked to people, um, you either really like it or it's just not for you. So Mm -hmm. I'd say watch maybe three or four more episodes, um, and if you're not connecting with it, um, then it's probably just not for you. Right, right, yeah, that's cool. Um, I mean, there's there's no shortage of uh, TV to watch, so that's that's good. And I'm like you. I mean, it's it's when you're busy, as we all are at the end of right. a semester. Uh, when you're busy, it's so much easier to turn on a half hour, or 45 minute, or an hour long TV show than it is a movie. Uh, the irony, of course, is you know you turn on the hour long TV show and you watch three episodes. <laughs> you're three hours later. You're like, oh, I could have watched a movie. Right. Um, but uh, I rewatched the first season of Daredevil before moving on to the second season of Daredevil, which I thought was amazing. I thought yeah. it was very, very good. Um, so yeah, I was I was impressed with the first season of Daredevil, and the second was was even better. In fact, I heard that there's a uh, a 
Punisher series in the works now. They, yeah, I heard that too. So that'll be good because he was really good in that. So, so that's what else? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm like you, Chris. It's it's it, it's all TV mostly uh, for the most part. But uh, yeah, we just wrapped up a semester. I have a summer semester that just started yesterday. Um, doing an online class, so at least I don't have to kind of go anywhere but yeah it was a it was a it was a very very uh busy semester for me so i'm looking forward yeah. to summer as well because i've got some writing projects in mind oh good um and and stuff both academic and uh and creative not that academic and creative writing are mutually exclusive but um you know what i mean so yeah that's about it the one thing i did do is and i i, I intentionally waited until <clears throat> until all the episodes had dropped before I I listened to the whole thing, was I listened to season two of Ser- of the Serial podcast? Oh, okay, <laughs> have you guys listened to that? No, uh, no, I listened to the first episode of the first season and it was kind of neat, but I never I never pursued it. Oh well, the first oh the first seasons, um, pardon the pun for anybody listening to our podcast who has heard the first season. The first season is killer. Um, <laughs> you, you'll you'll try you'll you'll understand why uh, it's a it's about a murder. Um, the second right. season is about um, uh, Bo Bergdahl. It, 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 it's oh. a it's amazing. Oh, really? oh it's okay. fucking amazing. It, it's wonderful. Okay. It's a great. Yeah, I'll check it. Check, it, check out. it out. Please do. You know what? In terms, in, in, as long as we're doing a couple of uh, extra suggestions. Um, Two films were suggested to me by the actress uh, Sandra Locke, um, who served on the uh, Foreign Film Committee this year for the Oscars, and uh, neither one was nominated. But she was; she thought that they were two of the absolute very best. One was from last season, which I just finished watching, which was called Wild Tales. It's out of Argentina, and guys, that was an absolute blast it's it's six tales of revenge so it's the classic anthology mode you know anthology mode and it was from the opening teaser pre-credits teaser i was like man this is going to be great and it it was so much fun and the other one she said made spotlight look like tame and -hmm. it was called the club and it was it's a chilean film uh and it, it that traverses the same topic and uh, so I haven't gotten to the club yet, but I can tell you guys in case, you know, you want to uh, borrow my copy of Wild Tales. Oh, man. And for listeners out there, that was fabulous. And it was just when I dug a little bit deeper, I saw that it was universally really trumpeted as being a, a, a fantastic standout film. It's an okay, one of our yeah. produ- produced film. So, OK. Well, I so wonder why it didn't get nominated. Yeah, it was in, it was from the previous season. It was a late 2014 film, but I just finished watching it the other day, and it was <laughs> it was just a blast. So good. Great, great. Yeah, I'll definitely uh, check that out. That sounds good because that's Me the too. other good thing about summer is you can catch up on all this stuff. Hopefully, right? Uh, so yeah, that's that's cool. That sounds very very good. Um, I just lost my train of thought completely. <laughs> so that's good. Um, what brought that up? What, what did Chris say that brought that up? That we serial podcast. Of, well, serial, yeah. serial, serial. Okay, good, good, good. I never did watch that first season. Of, listen to the first season of that, but I'll give it a try. Um, I thought it was when I first saw listen to serial. I thought it was fiction. And then I learned that it was not. Oh, no, it's very real life. 
Yeah. And uh, then I, I kind of lost interest when I learned that. I don't know why. I don't know. Why. I'm not sure. I think there are, I think there are a lot of reasons why I lost interest, but I, I, I kept meaning to get back to it and I just never did. So, um, so yeah, so that's that. So I'll check, I mean, I'll check out just season two, just jump right into that. And that movies, the movies you're talking about, Nick sound good too. Yeah. So it's catching up time. Before we move on, just while I'm thinking about it, um, Everything we just mentioned, all the movies, all the podcasts and everything, if you, uh, instead of stopping your car and trying to jot them all down or something, you can just uh, go to the show notes for this episode at that's a wrap show.com. This is episode number 43. If you go there, we're going to list all the movies we've mentioned, all the podcasts we mentioned, any links we mentioned, uh, we will put them in the show notes at that's a wrap show.com. And while you're at the website, checking out the show notes, you can also uh, submit via Patreon, just like our new patron uh paul christian glenn who became a patron last month so thanks a lot uh paul Thank you. appreciate it uh so paul much. is yeah paul's a co-host on the Afterpod podcast uh which i listen to as often as i can they post a lot and they uh, it's a cool podcast where they uh, talk about other podcasts if right. that makes sense so they I love um, that podcast too eric it's yeah a, it's a treat yeah, it's a great idea. You know, it, it is a treat. And uh, I, I, I pick and choose um, episodes based on things I know or things I'm interested in, um, you know, because not all of it is, is stuff that's kind of in my wheelhouse. But they do a good job and they're, uh, you know, they're, they're funny and they're, uh, they've got a good sense of uh, kind of critical judgment. Uh, after pod and uh yeah so i like it too so thanks paul we do appreciate that and uh again that's a rap show.com that's rap with a w and you can find us there so with that we'll move into our one and only segment segment one boom 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 hi it's uh eric marshall here we had some problems with recording this, so what you're going to hear is uh, a little over an hour of us discussing uh, Hail Caesar and the beginning of our discussion of the Coens in general. I'm working to recover that audio, and if I can, then I will uh, post a part two later on, and if I can't, uh, then we, we may re-record that part of the conversation to the best of our ability. Uh, thanks for your patience. We thought you'd enjoy the Hail Caesar and at least the beginning of the Coen Brothers, so uh, at the end of this podcast, it will fade out, and I'll come back and talk to you again for a second to remind you of what happened, but uh, we had a lot of fun recording it, and uh, it's... Uh, pretty good stuff so thanks for listening okay so we've all watched hail caesar uh the new coen brothers movie yes and uh i yeah and i'm just i'm just gonna go ahead and start this is eric speaking i'm gonna go ahead and start i've seen all of the coen brothers films and um i've seen a lot of them in the theater in the last uh decade or so and when they do straight comedy uh, like Intolerable Cruelty or Lady Killers, those are the mm-hmm. ones that I feel are their weakest, their mm-hmm. weakest uh, kind of entries into this, you know, into the world or whatever. And when I saw trailers for this, I was like, oh man, I don't know. Well, you know, we'll see. Because <laughs> it just felt like it was going to be one of those. And so I watched it the other day and it, it does have elements of their of their kind of straight comedy, which which again I don't think they do terribly well. But um, overall, I think I enjoyed it. 
Um, <laughs> you're not sure? Don't equivocate. <laughs> Overall, I think I... But I'm not sure. I know I loved parts <laughs> of it. You know what I mean? I know I loved right. parts of it. And I know sure. I loved certain um, characters. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that I can say for sure. But as a whole, I'm not sure. You know what? I, I felt like it was um, an excuse on the part of the Coen brothers to go, let's just find a way to build a bunch of crazy sets and do like these weird set pieces and like have a musical number and, and have this historical drama, you know, and all an epic. And, and just, I think it was, it was very playful in that way. I felt like it was them playing around and being very self-indulgent to a large extent. And then mm-hmm. just throwing in a, a story to kind of link it all together in, in a you certain way. You didn't see way. it as like a pay in to uh, old Hollywood. In what way? Just the way they, they, they kind of, gestured to you know that the the time frame of the collapse of the the studio system and the the onset of the cold war and but you you had these kind of uh you these grand epics and some of them were good and some of them weren't Uh and, and and it was kind of a it was kind of a fun time to be watching movies not necessarily good movies mind you uh but it was kind of a fun time to be watching movies uh, that's kind of how I took the film. I I, 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 was, I I don't know. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I was just. I, I think it was also that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I, I, yes, I think it was. I think it was, and that might be what they yeah, were going for. Yeah, I see. For. I see. Yeah, was, was yeah. they're going for to a large extent. I mean, do we need to summarize the movie? I don't know if I can. I mean, do you, it's <laughs> a tough one to summarize. I mean, like, let me let me just say right off the bat that like I'm in total agreement with both of you guys. I and it, I was actually displeased with the film for about thirty minutes or so. Uh, because it just like, like Eric said, it was like total, it was so indulgent and kind of masturbatory. And I was like, where the fuck is this going? These are guys that don't always adhere to sort of like the tropes of traditional Hollywood screenwriting. You know, I mean, by the time George Clooney got kidnapped, it was like 45 minutes into the film. Uh, seriously. And so, or well, he, he wasn't, sorry, not kidnapped, but by the time he woke up and understood where he was, it was 45 minutes into the film. And I'm like, guys, if attention is the commodity of the 21st century, you, <laughs> you can move a bit faster. I mean, I am not an ADD person, but you, you know, seriously, that was, so I didn't know what the hell to make of it. But, uh, so summarizing it, Eric, will be you know, I'll, I'll, we can either go like one of two ways with that. We can give like a, a simple paragraph summary <laughs> or we can mm-hmm. try and explain the plot, which is quite, yeah. quite, you know, circuitous. It's all over. Yeah. And, and but um, I it, my initial reaction, because that's what I wanted to say right off the bat was my displeasure became pleasure. But this film in many ways is an absolute poster child for my views on the coen brothers in general and i knew it, it is, would be yeah yeah it is yeah. it is absolutely like the the litmus test or the you know perfect example of my pleasure with them and my displeasure with them at the same good, time good good and we're gonna go we're gonna go into that in in very fine detail i think <laughs> um, and just to let the listeners know what our plan is we're gonna talk specifically about hail caesar and then we're gonna we're gonna kind of drift into the coen brothers uh in general i think you know it's mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of inseparable in, in a way but mm-hmm. um when I, as i was watching it i i 
Nick and I once had a um, God. It must have been almost two hour conversation over beers at the mm-hmm. now defunct Berkeley Front in in mm-hmm. Berkeley, Michigan, and where we talked only about the Cohen brothers. And you tried, and we'll talk about this in specifics later. But you you explained to me your your uh, philosophy, your ideas, your theory about them, mm-hmm. and I just wasn't getting it, and I wasn't getting it, and I wasn't getting it, and, and finally I kind of got it, but over the last year or two since we've had, or a couple of years since we've had that conversation, I've begun to kind of see what you meant, and we'll get to that again, anyway. but um, yeah, as far as the movie goes, I, normally at this point we would talk about the plot, but I don't know, <laughs> I mean, let's just say, let's just say for the listeners who haven't seen it. Um, it's set in, um, the kind of the heyday of the studio system or maybe the end of the studio system as Chris indicated earlier. Right. So we're talking about, what would you say? The fifties? Fifties. Yeah. Very early fifties. Yeah. And, um, it's all about Hollywood. A lot of it takes place on a, on, you know, in a studio, uh, in a studio lot. It's about movie stars and gossip columnists. And there's a main character who is kind of ties it all together. He's the guy that, I don't know, keeps the actors in line, keeps, Mm -hmm. keeps the wheels running basically kind of behind the scenes deals with the press. I don't know if he has an actual job title, but. Um, but yeah, Basically the, the, the Thalberg of the joint, you know? Yeah. So uh, that, that's basically what the movie's about. That's as, as far as I can get with this, um, in terms of, in terms of plot or setup. Um, so, which I think is fine. I think that works, right? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's the setting and, you know, we can, and we'll talk about where, it, where it takes it all and everything yeah. like that. One thing that is important, I think, to mention from the get go is that, um, uh, they do a lovely job of creating like a composite studio. There's aspects of MGM, Warner Brothers, uh, and um, well, primarily those two. Because you got they actually used the actual figure of Nick Skank, you know, who was head of Lowe's, right? Uh, and oversaw the merger of Metro and Goldwyn, uh, you know, into the Lowe's uh, theatrical chain. And that was really interesting because he's the idea that Nick Skank is sort of the puppeteer back in New York. Um, running everything and that the Josh Brolin character, who is sort of the Irving Thalberg, you know, chief, uh, head of production. Uh, and then, but you've got like the Warner Brothers water tower and you've got an M, but an MGM sort of like uh, flow of command there. It was, you know, clearly the listeners should know that like this film is made by two people who know Hollywood history very well, whether they love it is an entirely different uh, debate we can have, but they're very well versed in it. And a lot of, I think the gestures they make will go over the mainstream public's head. Yeah, I would, I, I, I would, I would agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they, I love it is strong. I don't know if they love it. They like no, it. I don't I, think they do. And I, and I think there's kind of a, a, a making fun of it that they, they really, they take they some nice bring little the, yep, jabs, bring that to the table, the yeah. jabs at Hollywood and, I mean, there's nothing. I think one of the reasons I like the Coen Brothers so much. I'm a. I'm. I am. I guess I'll just put it out there. Uh, I am a far bigger fan of the Coen Brothers than, well, definitely than Nick, uh, and I think a little bit more than Eric. And I think one of the reasons is I, I like them because they're they are so unconventional. They're rebels, um, in, in in I think a good way. Um, and I like I like the way that they the they did this film. It was kind of a God, it's almost a, a, a madcap zany version of the player. 
wasn't the player kind of madcap and zany? It, it was, but in a very dark way. And this in a dark was, way. I mean, this was this was this wasn't as dark. It was it was a little bit dark, no. but it was it was more of a zany version of uh, well, it was Coen Brother humor. It was yeah. very specifically their brand of humor, yeah. which often is very shoehorned and doesn't fit the the the. For me, it doesn't fit. Like shoehorning in these roles, like for Francis McDormand, you know, the, the, the grizzled editor, the Margaret Booth sitting at, sitting at the, the, the old moviola nearly dying because she's wearing a scarf, but then won't take the scarf off. Um, feels so indulgent and like inelegant, you know, like the way they, they take their friends and put them into roles. For example, the Jonah Hill character. It's just like, why? You know, uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Now, am I saying that that's a problem? No. I mean, that is auteur theory to a degree, right? Working with the same ensemble of characters. But here it just feels forced, you know, and it doesn't. So for me, like what what worked the the best in the film was was um, the Josh Brolin character. I thought, you know, owned the film. This guy, Alden, what's his name? Uh, Aaron, Aaron Reich, who played the, you know, the yippee ki uh, sort of, you know, Roy Rogers. <laughs> He's phenomenal. And then He's his so date, the yeah. Veronica Osorio, who's basically supposed to be Carmen Miranda Lupe Valles uh-huh. yeah. sort of character. Um, uh-huh. I thought those three just absolutely owned. Scarlet did nothing for me as Esther yeah. Williams, basically. And I thought that Channing Tatum was pretty flat, in my yeah. opinion, as this Gene Kelly guy. But um, I don't know about you guys, but I thought Brolin was the heart of the whole film. And then those those two supporting characters made for the best scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this uh, is kind of a role for Josh Brolin. I mean, he, he he's kind of has that that grizzled uh, way way about him. You know, like, you know, when he was because when he was and he's, you know, he's a Cohen staple, you know, in uh, sure. No Country for Old Men. Uh, but he's he's kind of grizzled and he was, you know, he was he was kind of made for a role, a role like being the 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 Hollywood studio fixer. Yeah, he's you know. the studio fixer. Yeah, that's yeah exactly keep, right. Keeping things out of the press and keeping things in line. I mean, but he's also sort of like half fixer. He's like half Fred Ward from the player and half Irving Thalberg. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The that Irving was, Thalberg. That's good. Yeah, I mean, that's the the beauty of his role is that he's, he's he keeps it wound and ticking, but he's also managing all the personas and and their contracts and and all that stuff, and then also being played by Skank. Uh, you know, he's, he's sort of a, uh, you know, a bag man for skank. That's, that's part of his, uh, job description. Um, but you know what Eric said in the very beginning about there were moments or parts of the film that he loved. I felt the same way. There were, when, when these guys like, when they decided, when they decide to do a set piece and recreate it for the movie within the movie, right? The movies within the movie, they're not half-assed. I, I agree with you, Nick. That um, the uh, now I don't know his name either, but the uh, Elden Ehrenreich, who I don't know at all, he and and, and the, my What's favorite his name set, Hobie Hobie something Hobie Doyle Hobie yeah Hobie Doyle <laughs> Hobie, Hobie Doyle. Um, <laughs> for me, the movie didn't even. I, I agree with you, Nick. Um, that for the first little while, I'm like, what the hell is going on in this movie? Because it does not. It just seems like a bunch of disjointed scenes until where I'll tell you exactly where the movie grabbed me. It was with Hobie Doyle 
in the they, they what they do is for for listeners they pull him uh he's he's this western guy he does these he's a stunt guy basically who does westerns and they put him into this kind of uh english uh what would you call it like this no coward sort of lubich yeah right <laughs> um, true would that were true? Would, and, that, and that's the scene. That's the scene that, that got me was when. All right, all right, let's try this. Your line, just say it as I say it. Say your line exactly as I'm mm-hmm. about to. Okay, sure. Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Would that it were. Wait, wait, watch my mouth. Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? My dear boy, why do you say that? Why do you say twer? Well, you said say it like I say it. Yes. Would that it were so simple? No, no, you seem to be lingering. It's interminable, the were. I'm wondering when it'll end. Then we shouldn't be wondering, should we? We should be marching right along to so simple. Would that it were so simple? Trippingly. Would that it were so simple? Trippingly. No, don't say trippingly. Say the line trippingly. He's... See, I'm laughing thinking about it. When he comes in and he delivers the line, would that it were true or whatever? I can't do that. I can't do accents. And, and, and the way the line is supposed to go is, would that it were true? Would that it were true? And it's, it's such a – it's so um, – that with Ralph Fiennes as Lorenz Lorenz um, and, and Eldon Ehrenreich as Hobie that scene got me. That's where I'm like, okay, okay, I'll stick with this because that was hilarious. You know, the dialogue, the physical parts of it, the just the – that was that was great. And the other – one of my favorite scenes was, again, with, with Hobie Doyle was the one you were talking about, Nick, where they're on that date. Uh, oh, the best. My favorite part. Yeah, it was such – it was so good. He's – He's so charming, you know, and it's just such a good, um, a good scene. Um, and of course, Josh Brolin ties it together. Uh, George Clooney does what George Clooney does. Um, and, and I think everybody else, you know, Channing Tatum, I, I agree with you. It's a little flat be- because the movie sprawls so much, you know, yeah. I'm sorry for, I'm sorry for interrupting and bringing it back. I just wanted to kind of respond a little bit to, to some of that, but, um, you were going to say, Nick, that it reminds you of the big Lebowski. Yeah. Well, and, and, but the, there's a problem though, which is, okay, it's wonderful to just recreate these set pieces. Uh, but, you know, for me, I, and it just becomes sort of like elaborate staging of, of simulacra. You know, it just, it's, <laughs> it's more satire than, than homage and there's no real affection for it. I feel like it's just there so that they can, it doesn't affect me though. That's the problem. I feel like, wow, these guys really can, can stage. They, it's simulacra. I mean, they can basically give you this, this, uh, recreation to which there's no actual reference they can go back to. Um, because it's, it's a moment in time that's 40, 50 years ago. They're just trying to recreate, recreate it. But, it's just for show. And if to me, guys, you have to understand this is a very personal response. It's for me, it's for show because unlike, say, Joe Dante's matinee or, um, or, or, or night and day or, uh, you know, Truffaut's night and day uh, or, day or, or for, other day films that are self or day for night, excuse me, <laughs> that are so self reflexive or Irma Vap mm-hmm. or even our cinema paradiso. Mm-hmm. Hail Caesar comes across to me as sort of like blank pastiche, pastiche. you know, there's no, yeah. And, 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 and it's, it's kind of just empty in that way, except for something I'd like to talk about when we start wrapping up the discussion, they do, they did kind of hook me on an emotional level. I'll explain why later, okay. but I think one of the major selling points of the film, these, these elaborate recreations of, 50 spectacle in films, whether it's like the biblical epic or the, the Esther Williams, you know, musical that's, that's water-based or whatever. 
they're they're great, but they're like for me empty. Yeah, it feels and I and that's I think when when I we started talking about this was what I was getting at a little bit was the, the pastiche is a perfect um, description of it. That's what it feels like. It feels not quite homage, not quite parody. Doesn't fit together that well. It's just a pastiche of all these different things. And and uh, Chris, you said uh, when I was when I was talking about it was just an excuse for the Coens to do these set pieces and and reconstruct these things. You're like, well, don't you see it as a pay in you know, to to these to the studio system? And yes, it's also that. But I but I think yeah. it's more self indulgent than that. I think it's more it's less a tribute than it is a I want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, is is self-indulgence uh, you know is self-indulgent masturbatory filmmaking always a bad thing oh no i'm, I'm I not mean, saying isn't it's bad it, i'm just saying it, no know. but yeah, over an entire it, you know chris but like over you know over uh, the one thing that no it is not but over i mean they are repetitive the coen brothers i mean by nature by definition uh, right they're repetitive so you get a little tired of that you know I think mean, at least I, I did. Even go that far because I don't think all their I don't think all their movies do what this movie is doing. Um, and I think, no, and I, think no, good, I, I don't think I so. think a good contrast actually is Lebowski because um, this movie reminded me most of the Big Lebowski and and I don't want to get too far into this yet. But um, I talked earlier about how I don't like their comedies much. Um, Mm-hmm. The Big Lebowski is not only my favorite Coen Brothers film, it's one of my favorite films of all time. So it kind of stands mm-hmm. apart from some other straight comedy. And I think it's be, part, be, the mute, I think it's partly because the musical numbers in The Big Lebowski and the weird like music video-y kind of weird, you know, those they fit perfectly with the with a narrative, right? Mm-hmm. And they're not trying to do anything else. But in this movie, in Hail Caesar, it really does feel like they're like, I want to make a part of a musical. I want to oh, do sure. a part of an epic. Let's do that, you know? And, and and I think we all agree about that. Yeah. yeah. I think we're – And to Chris's point, we know, it's I mean, not bad. Yeah, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that it's – Yeah, we're not placing more. a value yeah. judgment on it. We're just saying like seriously, what does Scarlett Johansson's five to ten-minute spectacle in the water contribute to the plot? Very little other than it's a minor thread in one of Mannix's – problems he has to juggle that's a lot of money spent on nothing that advances the plot so that's true that that that's 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 true uh i mean i i don't i think this is this is worlds behind lebowski as far as the quality of the comedy uh i just found it really fun to look at yeah no question i just love love that's my point when i said it was basically elaborate simulacra that's my point you know now i can i can i can i can get behind that yeah it, but it, I guess it sounded because you just said you're not placing a value judgment on it. It, 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 it sounded there was a tinge in your voice that you were you were like you were kind of being snide. Like it's no, not snide. The value judgment I placed on it was neither good nor bad. I said it left me empty. So that's mm-hmm. you know I mean I can right. it's, it was empty calories basically. And I'm not right. saying that's a good or bad <laughs> thing, but it was seriously. I mean because. Yeah. I watched it and went, God, they're good. Here it comes, Eric. Eric's been waiting for this. God, they're good technicians. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good technician. That's the that's the term that you were using that night at the Berkeley front when we had those beers. And uh and we'll, I think we should get into that more because um the empty calorie thing is interesting. And I've come to some realizations about the Cohen's um 
recently. Maybe it's this film that did it. But uh, before we go into the Coens in general, I want to make sure we wrap up, um, you know, kind of our just Hail Caesar discussion. Um, sure. You know, to make sure we give the the, the, the latest film its kind of due diligence, uh, if, if that makes sense. Um yeah, I think I there's more to talk positive about. Things to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's more to talk about um, for sure. The the part that got me was um, another part when they go into the musical number. And um, actually, I guess I should take an aside and say, usually when we do films, we say, "Hey, we're going to be spoiler free," and then we do spoilers. I don't think we care about this today because there's not really much to sp- no. nothing to spoil. No, nothing yeah. to spoil. So they go into this musical number with Channing Tatum and. Um, I didn't know that Channing Tatum was a dancer. Uh, Rebecca had to tell me that. She's like, oh, you know, he started his career as a you – know, oh, I didn't know that. But um, a very good, well-choreographed uh, musical number that goes on for a long time. And there comes a point where you're like, what is going on here? <laughs> Why is this in there? You know, <laughs> And that's where I got the idea that they're just – being super self-indulgent of like, ah, we want to do this thing, you know? And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But um, totally out of... It is a show-stopping number. It is a show-stopping number. Um, yeah, it is a show. I, I loved watching it. I loved watching every, me too. I loved watching every minute of it. I mean, maybe that's because I also, I you know, I love, I go, I go nuts over musicals. And if, you know, if a musical number goes on for a while... Uh, I'm just thirsty for more. Yeah. I, I'm I'm fine with that. And it's, yeah. And it's, yeah. So I, it didn't bother me. I thought it was. I thought oh, it, it was just. It great. didn't bother me either. But it but it brought home to me that they're trying to do something. They're trying to not only talk about and portray the studio system in the fifties, they're trying to do it in a certain way, you know. And and that's where I got the idea of they're just like. <laughs> Hey, let's do a musical number. I want to, you know, like as as a classical musical, but it's out mm-hmm. of place in the sense that you know, in most musicals, you get you get a clue that there's going to be music, and the musical start, you know, and that's the only musical number in it, and it's really they do it like completely uh, balls to the walls, you know. It's it, the, the choreography, the cinematography, uh, it, it, the number itself. I mean, it's serious stuff, man. You know, I agree with both of you. I think that like the the that that number works in the context of the film and i agree with eric that it also you know i mean it's um it's a showcasing piece to sort of stage an elaborate musical number in a studio where they're making genre pictures and 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 i mean it's kind of like the wet dream for the coen brothers and that they can take things that they've done successfully like in lebowski and frame a story all around it so that they can like dip their toes in each and every little genre they make a a noel coward film they make a western you know they wait they make a a biblical epic uh you know i mean they've you know it's Mm -hmm. yeah the film's kind of genius in that way uh and and but it still left me cold guys i mean ultimately until until yeah. oh we get to the whole communist yes. subplot. Yes. That is Herbert amazing. Marcuse. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> great stuff. And then I was like, all right, this is a pantheon, yeah. an ode to the writer yeah. is what this film is. And blacklisting and, you know, and I'm like, okay, so this is where the film finds its heart. Because, I mean, I couldn't exactly find out what – I'm like, yeah, yeah, I thought it was masturbatory. And then, you know, they introduced this entire sort of like, you know – yeah. Quack sub sub so blacklisting so of Hollywood writers thing, 
And I was like, all right, now, now I'm beginning to really dig this. And then they bring in, you know, like this, this character, the, the George Clooney character as an everyman and try and get him on board with, uh, Marx and Engels. And, and guys, this all culminates. And, and I, and again, this isn't a spoiler, but this all culminates in what I think is the best exchange in the film, apart from the date, which is this yes. Brolin Clooney exchange where Clooney's back at the studio and he's explaining yeah. like the, the principles yeah. of like Marxism and modes of production. Yeah. <laughs> to Josh Brolin's Mannix, who basically, you know, gets up and starts slapping him, you yeah. know, and it's like, now listen to me, Martin, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like full Martin Hartman, I said, and, like, yeah. slap, slap, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. listen to me, Martin, yeah. and he's going on, and, and he says, he gives this little speech about, you know, Nick Skank and, and MGM is basically what he's talking about, you know, provides you a good living, makes you money, blah, blah, mm-hmm. he sort of like becomes the proto-capitalist. And explains to him why he needs to go out there and do his job. And I thought, you know what? This film gets a high, yeah. high-ish rating from me just for that shit alone. I thought it was brilliant. Not to say I didn't have my problems with this film, and and I'll talk about you know my larger issues with the Coens. But yeah, you know, come no, on, guys, I can agree. we really beat oh, that? That's some good yeah, stuff. that subplot was great. I I also kind of <laughs> feel like it's part of the pastiche, right? Because you get the sense that they don't, they don't, right. they're not buying it. They're not. Uh, pushing it you know the the little communist thing in the end the proto-capitalist as you say wins and george clooney the george clooney character who is i i love i like george clooney in these roles you know i liked him in oh brother where art thou that weird those weird looks he gives and he, he tries to explain it back to marcusa and it's all about this dude shaving his back. Something about shaving his back, right? And then when he explains it to, yeah, to Josh, yeah, Danny Kay, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, Danny like, Kay. That's what yeah, it was. Danny it was like, what, what's in it for him? Who's who's getting the most out of this? It's he's getting his back shaved or whatever. It's like, what the hell are you? And like the the Marcusa character was like, what the hell are you talking about? And you're thinking the same thing, right? And then he goes back to Josh Brolin and he tries, like you said, to explain this really uh, yep. elementary kind of understanding of it. And he grabs Josh Brolin grabs. He's like, he gives you a good living. And I I love both of those moments as well. Um, (laughs) And there's a part of you that wonders, like, what are they even doing? It's great. You know, but I agree with you, Nick. I think that that subplot is it really uh, it propels the film forward, even if it is incredibly silly, especially with the uh, with the. yeah, I did. Uh, and the silliness I'm talking about is the um, what's his name? Uh, The the dancing guy. Yeah, yeah, that that it was. Yeah, oh, Tatum going off to Moscow. Yeah. yeah, what the hell? What the fuck is yeah. that? You know, that just yeah. was silly, yes. beyond yes. silly. But, yeah. Um, but then of course, there's one one last thing we didn't talk about, which is the film starts off in a confessional and ends with mm-hmm. massive sort of like biblical overtones, and then the religion runs through the film in certain ways. So, huh. like, what the hell is that all about? You know. I didn't even know. I, I I tried to apply my <laughs> my skills with film to this, and I'm like, I couldn't figure out exactly what sort of stance they're taking with religion. I mean, th- it's interesting in the beginning that they're doing sort of like a, a test screening <laughs> by giving the script to all the major yeah. American uh, Another religions in North America to see what's offensive. Oh, that, that scene, and that scene, was yeah, that uh, it, it, the, the, where they're arguing. Yeah. Oh my God! Have, Jesus uh, was not God. Yes. It was. It was. Stuff. Yes. It's so funny. Because <laughs> you have a rabbi, a Catholic priest. Funny, yeah. I'm assuming a Protestant. Um, a minister. A minister. Um, 
Yeah, I, I mean, I don't hilarious arguments about theology and then the Josh, uh, Josh Brolin character is like, uh, Eddie Mannix is like, okay, well, setting that aside, uh, the, the, what did he say? The, setting aside the, uh, the parenthood of Jesus. Uh, so here's what he wants to get back to the movie, right? Cause that's what he's curious about. <laughs> oh no. The best thing was, you know, he, he brought the very first answer was, um, so is there anything, you know, objectionable to you gentlemen? What's with the chariot race? <laughs> How is he supposed to? The laws of inertia, and 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 he's like, yeah. And I thought, like, isn't that you know, typical? like, like that's, you know, that's the, like, the classic that's, sort of that's the, the classic uh, person sort of, like reading uh, way, person yeah. like reading way too much into something and being ultra picky about <laughs> something that critic, yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah. it's like the it's like the like every semester you have a student who is like this movie is great except that gun only has a uh, twelve chambers something or other yeah, exactly you know. you're like whatever dude. <laughs> You know, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. That's 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 great. You know, Clooney gives this. I I I, uh, I wrote in my notes here that, that he stumbles on the faith line. You guys remember at the mm-hmm. end when he's yep, standing yep. in front of uh, yep. uh, a crucifixion, and mm-hmm. he's and it's this great take. You know, and we forget it's even take. In fact, because it's so good, yeah. it's right yeah. after Mannix tells him to go out there and you know, s- you know, do your job, and then of course it's on the faith line. Yeah. Yeah, and he does it. Yeah. Not accidental, you know. Yeah, and you're right. And up until then, it was a very long monologue that he was mm-hmm. giving. Um, actually, that is something that bothered me about the film was that during these filming uh, scenes where they're supposed to be filming, you get a lot of uh, reaction shots. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, you true. It's a little fake. Shot, all that, yeah. And you're like, well, actually, that's not how it would go on a set. It's not possible. <laughs> it's not possible, exactly. <laughs> but in this case, it was reaction shots to the crew. Mm-hmm. And the crew are like all moved by this speech because you know he figured it out between the his his experience with the communists and the, and then with Eddie Mannix you know slapping him around <laughs> he finally gets it and he's and it's touching and moving to everybody and then like you say he stumbles on the faith line and that's a line, really good yeah. point Nick I mean because what what is this movie saying if anything about uh, about religion and about religion's role in movies and about religion's yeah. role in movies in the 50s you know um, I, I, I think you know, they have they have a lot of movies that touch on they have some movies that touch on religion from time to time and they seem pretty agnostic generally speaking yeah. Um but yeah I don't know I don't know what this uh, was there something going on there like is there a I think if we dig deeper, yeah, we can we can probably tease out of it pretty easily some 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 messages. But um, you know, it, it's a pretty rich text in many ways. Uh, even though I'm saying it's pastiche, it's a it, pastiche is by by definition it's a complex thing. So yeah. um, I I don't know. I, I all I know is that if I mean if I was to bookend our opening and closing discussion of Sale Caesar, I would say. I was, you know, actively disliking this film for a while, and then it, it and then it won me over. Yeah, know? yeah, I, I, I got gotcha. you. Um, yeah, going go to the yeah, I, I mean, I can't do a, a detailed analysis after only seeing it once either, especially on the religious aspects. But um, you do bring up a very, very interesting point because the only the only person in the film who truly believes in something, um, maybe. Well, one of the only is, is Eddie Maddox, right? He believes in the studio. Yeah. He, he believes, believes in the in system. The yep. um, he's always he believes in the system. Yeah, because he's trying to be lured away. Yeah, he's, yeah, because he's trying to be lured away by uh, um, Lockheed. Lockheed of all <laughs> things, right? And uh, he's he always see him in editing rooms, in uh, screening rooms. He's looking at the screenings. He, you know, he's he really seems to care. About the mm-hmm. whole thing, everyone else is eh, whatever you know. And even with George Clooney with the communist thing, he, they sway him 
Eddie Manning slaps him around and he's back to normal, right? And even they weren't convincing, right? They just seemed like they were pissed off, right? Like they had gotten burned. They wanted their residual checks. They wanted their residual <laughs> checks, you know? And, and so even them, like, I don't know if these guys really, you know. Believe what they're saying. Yeah. Now, oh, 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 I'm so glad you said that because what was the reaction when the money went into the ocean? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You know, they're, they're, yeah, I mean, that was, they're all sitting there in their boat, not giving a shit about money. Money's got to go to the cause, yeah, right? Right, right. And then, yeah, and then they watch them all kind of like, they're all oh, like, oh, no. Right. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. There goes your capitalism. Yeah. Did you guys notice something about this, uh, going back to the Big Lebowski thing? Um, there's a character in the among the communists who kind of sits in the background a lot and just kind of once in a while just yells something out. And there's another guy who every time he says it, this guy goes, shut up. Tells him to I shut don't up. Remember, I don't remember you know that. What I'm talking about? I don't, kind of. It, it happens four or, five, four or five times. There's this guy and he's like, the, the body of the whatever, he, you know, the, whatever he's saying. And then the guy's like, shut up. There's, there's a guy who tells another guy to <laughs> kind shut up. Kind of a gruff, fat character. With, yeah. With his guy, arms were crossed all the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was looking at that and I was like, you know, like, this – Itself is an homage back to the Big Lebowski, right? Shut the fuck up, Donnie, right? <laughs> right you know? yeah, there's the guy who's talking. Every time he talks, there's one guy, the same guy that always tells That's him great. to shut up, you know? And so I'm wondering if even they're aware that they're trying maybe to do a, another lebowski thing, although not really, but kind of, because it has, yeah. yeah. But, but I agree with Nick. Uh, the first 20 minutes or so, I was like, I don't know about this. And then uh, once you got to the um, would, would that it were whatever that, you know, that got me. Yeah. And then after that, I was like, OK, I'm along for the ride. It was uneven. It was like you said, pastiche. Um, you know, it didn't. Yeah, kind of empty. Together, but... Very empty in a lot of ways. Um, uh, I th- what about you, Chris? Your final, My final, your final I, verdict. I liked it. I, I, I liked it. I I. Even with the beginning, I was a little. I I mean, I, I found myself thinking, "Huh, what the fuck are they doing now?" Uh, but I, I I don't think I was active. I wasn't actively disliking it. I was like, "Huh, that's interesting." Uh, oh, that's weird. Uh, I I I really enjoyed it. I, I I mean, it wasn't wasn't their best work. I I think pastiche is a really nice way of saying it. Um, I I I I didn't. It didn't leave me empty. Um, let's see. Uh, I didn't necessarily like, like, except for the, except for Mannix. Uh, I didn't really like, like, like any of the characters, but, um, it it was just, I I just found it enjoyable. I I found it fun. I found it enjoyable. Um, I think the, the humor in Lebowski, I think Lebowski was funnier and I think it has, it's more iconic in a certain way. Um, and we'll talk about that in a minute. I don't think you're going to have Hail Caesar Fest yeah. like you have Lebowski Fests uh, all around the country. But I, I, no I, I did enjoy it. No I, way. I did enjoy. I would, I would probably, um, I'd probably get the get the buy the Blu-ray. Okay. Yeah. Good. 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 That, that yeah. sounds like three recommendations to me. I. I <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Eric, I think is a, is a little more tepid. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean it, it took a while, but ultimately, yeah, it, it kind of charmed me in the end. You same. Know? Yeah, same. And, and and big shout out to Tilda Swinton. She's good in anything. Oh, she wonderful. Does. Oh, and Roger Deakins, of course. Yeah. yeah. And Roger Deakins. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah and Tilda was wonderful. Yeah, it's almost redundant because yeah, she's she's good in every single thing she ever 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 does, but she's really good in this. She's sort of the yeah. head of Hopper, Luella Parsons, yeah. you know, gossip columnist. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh, it's so funny. So yeah, yeah, I think it's I think it's three recommendations. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Mm-hmm. So good. Um, there's nothing more damning than faint praise, I know, but no, you should. Yeah, people should. People should <laughs> Recommendations with with reservations. Yeah, absolutely. And so from here, we're going to go into a, a more general discussion of the Coens, which I think will be very illuminating and fun. The Coen brothers, in general, I think we all have maybe maybe different opinions of, and, and it's not hard to do. I mean, they're a really um, contentious director you know in the sense that people some people love them some people absolutely hate them uh they make some people just kind of cold you know it's a it's a very interesting thing you you get a lot of strong reactions to the coen brothers um much in the way you do with wes anderson maybe um but 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 not as strong perhaps i don't know but um i can see similarities between wes anderson and the coen brothers in their approach and I think in certain ways in their overall aesthetic. You think so? I think, yeah, their they're kind of approach to filmmaking, uh, a, a little bit maybe outside of the fold. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They're not I – don't, I, don't, I don't consider them like Anderson. I don't consider them part of the A-list. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, they, they have A-list cast members. But, um, they're, yeah, I think they're a little bit outside of the fold. They kind of do their own thing. And they're very unabashed about it. They're they're just a will. This is this is who we are. I uh, you know if you like us, you like us. If you don't, you don't. Get over it. My only <laughs> exception to that would be I think that Chris is right, and that defines them in their early to mid careers. But I'd say they've all they've both arrived in a list with Academy Award wins. Um, I think you know and and um, a certain amount of respect in the industry. So I, I think Cohen Brothers. I mean, you know, I think they're A-list now as well as well as Anderson. I think they're they're. I mean, I guess it depends on how you define define A-list, but I think with Academy Award nominations and wins, and you know, decades in the industry, and cult followings as well as mainstream followings. I don't know. What do you think, Chris? Don't you think they've kind of like the beginning and middle of their careers were outsiders and now they're more mainstream? I, I think they become more mainstream, but I still think they have a, a, a little tinge of a rebelliousness in, well, their, yeah, in, in, in their work. And that, that's 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 kind of what I what I meant. Um, okay. But, yeah, I, 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 uh, yeah, they've arrived at A-list. I'll, 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 I'll revise my former oh. statement. I think they've arrived at A-list arrived, now. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, definitely. How you know from the margins to the mainstream? I think yeah. Yeah, I I agree with that. Yeah, I th- I think that's I think that's right. I mean, they're they're mainstream in the sense that they they get wide release with every movie. You know, everyone knows about their movies. They get they get uh, reviewed by the you know the big the big review places. But they're they're auteurs. You know, they're not right. They're not gonna. They're not. They don't disappear into the you know mass of whatever is going on. You yeah. watch them because they're Coen Brother movies, right? Cinema practitioners rather than you know um, movie makers. That, that's to mean? put it in Steve, Steven Soderberghian terms. <laughs> Soderbergh, remember his his thirty minute speech where he talked about cinema and movies. And so, yeah, like you said, Anderson and and the Coen Brothers are sort of practitioners of cinema more so than you know mainstream popcorn fare 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I see. What you Absolutely. Mean. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm not familiar with the Sutterberg speech you're talking about, but that makes sense. Yeah, this makes sense. Sure. It's the one. Yeah, you guys know that one. We've talked about it on the show before. I think we linked to it. The, he's at the right. uh, San Francisco Film Festival talking about the state of oh, cinema. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry, it just wasn't clicking for me. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, I think that. I think that makes sense. Yeah, and I think that would apply to Wes Anderson as well, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, they've got, they've had a long career so far. I mean, they started in 1984 with Blood Simple, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of their homage to film noir. And the film noir thing has has permeated their work, I mean, I think off and on throughout their entire career. Um, they, they definitely owe a lot of credit Totally. There's even aspects of noir in Hail Caesar. It's just, you know, yeah. like those first opening shots. Holy yeah. cow. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, definitely. And just even the central uh, conceit of the movie mm-hmm. is, is very noirish, yeah. which is appropriate to the time, to the 50s, right. you know. Um, maybe not in style, but in plot. I mean, yeah. the Big Lebowski has it, you know. Yeah, you get, sure. and then Big you time. That, yeah. And so they started with that with Blood Simple, and you see that. I mean, well, just to, just to riff off the noir thing real quick, uh, Miller's Crossing, mm-hmm. Fargo, the Big Lebowski's got some of that, you know, just kind of the kind of the way the plot just kind of winds around and all that stuff. Um, what else? Uh, and then this, certainly, I'm sure there are others I'm not thinking of right now, but, um, but, you know, it's a long, it's a long career with a lot of films. Um, I, <laughs> I'm reminded of uh, I, I, there. There are two friends that we all have mutual as mutual friends, um, Facebook friends, but also mm-hmm. friend friends. And um, one of them is Mike White. And Mike White, a while ago, I think he must. I think the uh, projection booth did a uh, some some Coen Brothers episode. I can't remember what it was, but he said something on his Facebook about what is everybody's obsession with ranking the Coen Brothers movies. <laughs> And I thought that was interesting because I do feel like I do that. You know, I think people feel like I don't rank them. I categorize them, but mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's pretty much the same thing. People feel like they need to rank the Coen brothers movies. Um, and then, uh, our friend Steve Shaviro had something interesting to say about the Coens just a couple of weeks ago. Uh-huh. Um, I, I don't have it in front of me, but it was something about, um, how he, uh, he doesn't understand how anybody can enjoy a Coen Brothers film or something to that effect. You know, maybe I, I remember that. that but, yeah, yeah. Um, very different opinions, I suppose. But but as far as the ranking uh, comment by my, our friend Mike White, um, I thought that was kind of interesting. And I thought about it as we were coming into this because I don't necessarily want to rank their movies. To be honest with you, I think there's uh-huh. some value in categorizing them to an extent. Um, but um, I mean, how do we talk about them? As as auteurs, and how do we talk about their uh, their kind of oeuvre so far? Boy, it's you know, yeah, it's tough. It, it, it because they they kind of defy simple categorization. Yeah. Um, whereas Anderson is much easier to look at his canon of work and talk about what's a, an Anderson film built up of. The Fargo brothers are far more risky. Fargo Brothers. Fargo Brothers. <laughs> the Coen Brothers good. are That's far good. more risky in their choices for writing, their choices for material. They're not afraid to really kind of jump around in genres. Uh, there's a lot of pastiche. They will adapt uh, other works. They will do remakes. I know they've done at least two remakes. I mean, there's what Lady Killers and uh, True Grit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're not. A, they're not afraid of anything, frankly. 
And that makes them sort of like serious risk takers and hard to categorize. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. That's Chris, why you any, said you have to subcategorize their films into different yeah. groups. It's, yep. It's, yep. Yep. Yeah, it's definitely true. Do you, you have any thoughts on that, uh, Chris? About Boy, uh, I, I, no, no, I, 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 hmm. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's almost as tough to talk about as it is the Hail Caesar. I, I mean, you could you could certainly say you could certainly split it into comedy and drama if you want If you want, yeah, start broadly. I mean, you could. There's elements of western and neo noir. You know, western obviously in True Grit and and oh, uh, oh brother, where art thou? And then elements of of neo noir and uh, well, Blood Simple clearly, but even Fargo and um, No Country for Old Men is kind of a neo western noir, yeah. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, yeah. So you could kind of whittle it down, but they <clears throat> they're really, I mean, they they like to work in hybrid genres uh, a lot. Uh, yeah, I I. I <sighs> I I think it's 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 harder to talk about their to cata, to to kind of classify their films that way. I, yeah, yeah. It is. I, I don't, and I don't I even think yeah. about it. I don't but really even thing, think about that's their the films weird that thing way. is that I mean genre is kind of getting in our way here because there's like all sorts of thematic and stylistic consistencies, no matter what mm-hmm. the genre is. Yeah. it becomes a Coen Brothers treatment of it to essentially right. Right, and that's yeah. where I kind of wanted to go with this because they do, they do cross genres and they do mimic genres and they and and, and all that. But you know, I think it, I think we maybe we should start with Nick's supposition about about them and maybe 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 go from there. If that's my, fair. my classic one, yeah, yeah. Okay, so for the listener, <laughs> it's very simple. Um, and this is not a criticism uh, that I, just the Coen brothers have. I, I, there's a, there's some other contemporary filmmakers I feel like this way. But, you know, I mean, one of the reasons that I think cinema attracts us in the first place is because it's a medium quite no, like no other. And it has an ability to to impact us profoundly. You know, we enter this dreamlike state. We go into this, this room and we're transported. And the problem I have with the Coen brothers writ large over their, like, entire canon is – it's kind of the same thing I've I've attributed many times to Wes Anderson as I'm always kept at arm's length. There's nothing that ever really brings me in to caring about anybody in their films. Uh, that doesn't mean that they're not good filmmakers. It doesn't mean that they're not skilled writers. Um, and, and but they are they're they leave me cold almost yeah. always, and I come out of their films often impressed. Sometimes not so impressed. There's a few films I don't like at all, but always sort of empty, you know? I mean, with the exception of a couple films, I'm Fargo, you know, being one of them and obviously Lebowski being another mm-hmm. um, and, and a few others too. But when they miss, they miss greatly. And when they hit, they hit strong. But my, my supposition, as Eric said, is I find them to be surgically like adept they are they give them some stainless steel and they will carve you a good film uh like technically proficient and yet like shaviro was saying on facebook how does anybody really enjoy uh, a, a film of theirs well i can derive pleasure i got i got jolts of pleasure watching hail caesar but 
ultimately, that's my two cents is I feel kind of just shallow yeah. when it's all over. Yeah, you've, you know? you've called them the technicians of cinema. That's that's kind of your, your phrase. Um, the technicians the, of cinema. Yeah, and the quote from Steve Shaviro I have it in front of me now. It says, he says, I don't hate the Coen brothers. It's, it's just that I am entirely incapable of imagining what it would be like for someone to enjoy their movies. <laughs> that's such right? a Steve. And I realize that is a, that's, a, that's a Shaviro thing to say. I realize that's also, yeah, I also realize that, uh, Nick, you and I both commented like back to back on each other. This is back in February, I didn't even realize that either one of us uh-huh. commented on that. So, but, um, <laughs> what did we say? <laughs> well, actually, okay. Well, since we're here, um, I say I like a lot of their films, but as others have noted, they're uneven. The Big Lebowski is wonderful, in my opinion. I know I tagged you a whole similar <laughs> oh, to yours, and you said uh, that he has summarized your semi-complex view on the Coen Brothers, essentially in essentially a tweet. Is that just a question of hit or miss? He said. Um, is a question of an almost all business called surgical approach to filmmaking, yeah. as you just said. Uh, I call that conditions of cinema. You say no <laughs> <laughs> art uh, for the art form or the human condition. Yet I'm a, still a fan. In I general. know it sounds so yeah. negative, and it's it's it not meant to yeah. be. You know, yeah. I I think, and I and 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 I and don't take this as a criticism. I'm just going to say it. I think you're missing the point of their work. Uh, no, I don't, no, I get no, no. I know where you're going with that, Chris. Okay, I, all right. I get it. You know, you know me well enough. Mm-hmm. I think that you know. Where I'll, I'm d- going. I'll stop you right there by saying no. That their 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 intentions are never like beyond me. I I but it, it ultimately comes down to whether I was moved or, or affected by a film. And uh, I see. You know, like I mean, that's what puts a film into the pantheon of like. Schlegel's all-time favorites you know uh-huh. how much have I been right. how much has this film affected me and you know I appreciate uh, and admire a lot of their te- technical proficiency but honestly I'm asking you guys have you ever been moved by their films I, I don't I don't expect to okay be. you don't expect uh, that's fair. no that's fair, no. That's fair. I, I don't expect to be I there are plenty of films that are that to me are 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 not moving, but they're still in my, in my, in my all time. I think what the Coen brothers do, I don't think you're supposed to like their characters. I don't think that you're supposed to enjoy their films. I don't think they even enjoy their films. I think what they do is they create very complex, interesting characters. And I think that's what you're supposed to be intrigued by. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 you take any one of their films for the most part, I think, and the characters, they're just, they're all character studies. They're, they're these fascinating people who are thrown together in these very sometimes fucked up, bizarre, silly situations like Fargo. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are really, these are all for the most part interesting people. Mm-hmm. And every, every one of them I think is interesting. Uh, and they're thrown together in this stupid, Really, I mean, it's a stupid situation, but you don't like any of them except maybe Frances McDormand's character. You like her, but you, the the rest of them you don't like. They're pathetic. Uh, they're they're pathetic people, but they're written so well, and the the characters are fleshed out. They're so uh, deep characters that you can't help being intrigued. I don't find Fargo a moving film at all. At all, it doesn't move me, yeah, me but it's in but my, it, you know? it, it's it's in my probably top ten of all of all time. Um, and it's not that I don't, 
I, I, I don't watch it all the time. I don't sit and derive pleasure from it. It's not like watching Yankee Doodle Dandy that I do derive pleasure from. <laughs> but uh, it's I think um, the Coen brothers are are, are are filmmakers for film professors. That's why I see, I, I, I see the, I, I see the Coen brothers as filmmakers as film professors for film professors, because I think they're complex. I think a lot of, and, I, and you said something really, really good, Nick, a little while ago about Hail Caesar. You said a lot of the stuff in this film is going to go over people's heads. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the stuff in most of their films goes over general, the general audience's heads. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I think it does. And I, but I, and I'm not trying to be a snob here and saying, no, well, no, they're, all, they're, that, they're only filmmakers for us. Yeah. No, I'm not trying to say that, but. You know, I I think they're intellectual filmmakers. I don't think that they uh, expect someone to come and fall in love with Lewin Davis uh, or fall in love with uh, Llewellyn Moss or, uh, or 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 anything else. I I I think you're supposed to be intrigued. I find Anton Shigur from No Country for Old Men. Terrifying. Uh, yeah. He's one of my favorite antagonists of all time because he's such, he's, he's such an interesting guy. See, but right now I can't disagree. And I want to get Eric back in here. I'll just say very briefly, I can't yeah. disagree with anything you've said. You're, you're spot on. It just, it still can't change the fact that there's a, there's like this, it, it's like, it's like we're, you know, one of us is in prison and the Coen brothers keep coming to talk to me, but that's through that plexiglass. They just keep me distant, you know, and and I can't touch them or reach out to them. I admire them for the most part. There's a fucking couple movies like True Grit, but well, I still haven't seen all of it. But I, <laughs> and I refuse to uh, that, you know, I hold against them. But um, I'm not going to disagree. I just wanted to get, you know, now that you and I have said our piece, what's Eric got to say? Yeah, yeah Eric, well, we can, we can talk about True Grit later if you like, because um, – well, we can talk about it later, but um, yeah, no, I, I I think I agree because I I've been a defender of the Coens for a very long time. Um, as I said, I've seen all their films, and I you know I, I tend to see them when they come out. And that's where the recording ends. Uh, we we had another forty minutes of conversation that, like I said, I'm going to try to salvage or we'll re-record but uh thanks for listening hope you enjoyed it and uh hopefully we'll see you for part two of the <laughs> cohen brothers episode again thanks for listening visit us at that's a rap show.com that's rap with a w you can find us on facebook as well and on patreon.com that's a wrap <laughs>